Welcome to the weekly podcast of Valley Church. I pray that this message will fill you with the hope of the gospel and will help you follow Jesus today. If you would like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, visit valleychurchwv.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. It's good to see everyone this morning. What a blessing to be here on Easter Sunday. You know, of all the Sundays, um, this is the Sunday that we chose to launch this, uh, this church under a new name, Valley Church. Um, and as you can see, our name represents where we live and also who God has called us to reach. And so we're just glad as, as the kids go out, let's give a hand to all our kids, ministry staff. Huge, huge thank you to everybody for that. As you can tell here at, here at Valley Church, we just absolutely love kids, and we love reaching the next generation, and we believe that uh, they are not only vital to uh, the future of our church, but they are just a huge part of our present, and so we're just so blessed by all the kids here. Um, can I just tell you, um, I'm happy to see you this morning. Um, my name is Jonathan, and if you've never been here before, uh, I'm the pastor and I would love to meet you after the service and get to know you. Um, but uh, there is a way that actually we can all connect. And as you can see, we um, just sang this song, Build Your Church, right? Um, we sang for God to just build His church, build His church. And uh, the church is not just a Sunday morning gathering, is it? The church is, uh, the, the Greek word is actually ekklesia, which means the called out ones. And it's a community of, of believers and uh, it's a community that's called to pray for each other, to care for each other, to meet each other in their, in their joys and their sorrows. And uh, so a way that we do that here at Valley Church is uh, in your pews, we got a connection card. If you have a connection card, why don't you take it up, hold it up if you see it. You'll notice it's got two sides. One is a side that has prayer requests on it, and then the other side just says connect. And um, what we want for you is, uh, first of all, if you're brand new with us here and we don't know you yet, you don't really know each other, people in this church, we want to connect with you. We want to get you connected and help you follow Jesus with us. And so uh, just put down your name, email, phone number, um, and mark anything that, that you may want to, to do as a next step. And if you've got prayer requests as well, uh, mark those down. Um, but what we also want to do as a body is uh, we are committed to prayer. We believe that God answers prayer. And so if you have a need, um, maybe, it's, maybe it's a financial need. Maybe it's a physical need. Maybe it's a health need. Um, maybe it's if you just want somebody to pray with you and for you. You want this church body to pray for you. Uh, mark that prayer request down. And um, since we've taken up the offering already, we've got some, some uh, boxes right at the back of the sanctuary there that you can take this. You can put it in there. And uh, we will actually email that prayer request out to our whole church family so that we can be in prayer for each other in that way. So do that for us. And um, again, if you are new here, I want to especially welcome you to our service um, and to Valley Church. Um, you are a VIP with us today, and we've got something special for you. Actually, if you haven't gotten this book already, we want to give it to you, even if you're not new here. Um, this is a book called Words of Hope and Healing. And it was written for this valley in mind. It was written by my wife, Precious, and it is a uh, one-year-long devotional, um, one, one, uh, one devotional for each week of the year 
that uh, just leads you through what, what following Jesus is all about. So um, go and grab one of those books at the Connection Center on your way out, and um, we would love to serve you in that way. It is absolutely free, okay? We're giving it away just so that we can help you follow Jesus. And um, also, if you have a Bible, once you take it out, we're going to get into God's Word this morning. And um, those Bibles also, if you don't have a Bible, we put them there so you can take them home. Um, because uh, we, we believe in God's Word here and want to teach it and believe that God's Word will transform lives as we read it and respond to it. So um, grab a Bible. We are going to uh, be going, actually, our first passage is actually the first passage in the book of, book of Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. But before we get there, why don't we pray? And um, let's ask God to just teach us through His Word this morning as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for gathering us here in your church. God, this is your church. This valley church is, is a church that's, that's not only for the valley, we are for you, God. We are first and foremost for you and for your glory. So God, we want to go to your word. We want to learn from it. And God, we pray that uh, because of it, we might be changed. God, would you change us this morning? Would you allow your spirit full freedom to just work here in our presence, Lord, so that we might learn and grow. And uh, Lord, um, Lord, as, as we've come here as we are, God, I pray that uh, you would just, just invade into our hearts right now as we see and hear your gospel and learn what it is that you desire for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, again... Um, there's a lot of you here that, uh, that I'm, I don't know myself personally. Maybe it's your first time here in church, whether you came with grandma or you're a regular. Um, I want to again welcome you here. We are going to be going back to the beginning of the story of the resurrection. And uh, as we look at the story of the resurrection, oftentimes the way that most pastors teach this story comes, comes from a passage in scripture that says, uh, after the Sabbath at dawn... On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb, right? You've probably heard those words before in an Easter message. But can I tell you that as we look at this event called the resurrection, which actually historians can look back and verify that it is credible, it is accurate, and all the accounts of Scripture and other scholars can confirm that it is is true and accurate, um, we actually see that this story of the resurrection begins in a garden, and it ends in a garden. And so I told you, take out your Bible. I want to take you actually to the first place where we hear of the story of the resurrection. I've entitled my message, Reverse the Curse. Reverse the Curse, okay? Take up your Bible. Go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. You may be familiar with this passage Because this is the account of God creating the world. And it says in Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, nothing existed. God, who is eternal, who is the uncreated one, came into time and space and created this world. It didn't create by, through a big bang. Maybe, maybe God created a big bang. Who knows? But, but he just said it. He said, let there be light. And there was light. 
And you see in these, in these six days of creation, God spoke creation into existence day by day by day. And over six days, you see creation unfolding as God's word speaks it into existence. What you'll see as, as you go to the end of the chapter is that God created man. He created man in his own image. He created Adam. And then, then from Adam, he, he created Eve because he saw that, that it was not good for Adam to be, be alone. And in that garden, what we know is that God planted two trees. One was the tree of life, and the other tree was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he said, you can eat from any tree in this garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he told that to Adam. Well, as we get to chapter 3, we see God's perfect paradise that was sinless, that was spotless, where they, they had an unbroken relationship with God, where Adam and Eve were known, and, and they fellowshiped with God. They, they actually walked with God day by day in, in the garden. What happened is that Eve, in chapter 3, you'll see that there was a serpent that came and tempted Eve to eat from that forbidden fruit. And Eve went and questioned God's goodness, questioned God's character, questioned God's law. And went and took from that fruit and ate of it and then handed, handed that fruit to her husband, Adam. And in that moment, what, what God said would happen is that on the day that you eat of that fruit, he said, you shall surely die. You remember that, right? He said, You'll surely die. And so did Adam and Eve automatically keel over? Ah, you know? No, no, they didn't. They did not automatically just die. No, but death entered into the world. Death entered into their bodies. Death entered into everything that God had created. And not only was their death, but their relationship with God was broken. Sin had entered into the world. Sin meaning that, that they had done something that was against God's law. They had broken God's law. And therefore, because they had sinned, because God is holy, they were separated then from a holy God. They were separated from relationship with Him. And because of that, some other things that, that came with it was that their fellowship with God was broken and creation was thrown into chaos. And boy, do we see that today, don't we? Don't we see that today, even especially here in this valley? And that, that's part of why we're so passionate about valley churches, because we believe that there is hope and there's healing for the chaos in this valley, and that, that's in the name of Jesus. See, today when you experience trouble, when you experience pain or turmoil or sickness or death in this life, guess what that is a product of? It's a product of the sin of Adam and Eve. And not only just their sin, it's, it's a product of our sin. Because Scripture says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so it goes on in Scripture to say that the wages of sin is death. Just as they deserve death, we deserve death for our sin. Because God is holy, he must judge sin. It's a really good thing that God is just because we want justice, don't we? We do. We like justice. We like people to get what they deserve, but accept it when it's for us, right? And that's the way that God is. He, he said, I am a just God, I am a holy God, and I cannot have sin in my perfect heaven. And so God came down to that garden as Adam and Eve realized that they were naked, they were full of shame, they were hiding, and God called to them in that garden and said, Adam, Eve, where are you? They'd, they'd found fig leaves and cover, covered themselves up. You remember that? They were hiding from God, and God, God approaches them, 
and said, did you eat from the tree that I told you not to eat of? Did you eat from it? They had to admit, yes. And Adam actually blamed Eve. She said, it was the woman, the woman that you gave me. She gave me that fruit and I, I ate from it. Man. Well, all that we know is this. As a product of the fall, we are under a curse. We are under curse, and that curse is the curse of sin. That's why we see this in our valley. We see the curse being played out in things like addiction, things like violence, depression, broken marriages. I mean, you you could name whatever you're dealing with right now, even, even the health problems that we have going on in our church and in our community, broken relationships of all kinds, And it causes us to ask the question, just as Eve and Adam probably asked the question at that point, is there any hope for me? Is there any hope for me? And is there any hope for this valley? Is there any hope? And what I have to tell you is this, and I don't want you to leave not knowing this. I want you to know that, yes, there is hope. There is hope. And it is in the name of Jesus. It is in the name of Jesus. See, Jesus, he came to reverse the curse. Jesus came to reverse the curse. Now, the reason why we know this actually comes from a very famous scripture that I think we all probably know. You remember when Jesus came into this world, he was incarnated, he became flesh, he became just like us. God knew that we needed a Savior. He knew that we had sinned. He knew that we couldn't keep God's law, and he knew that he had to send his Son. And so he did send his Son in the form of Jesus, who took on human flesh, became like one of us, but was sinless. And it says, says in John chapter 3, verse 16, as, as Nicodemus asked, asked him, he, he said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. You know this, right? That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And verse 17 goes on to say, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. How did Jesus do that? Well, the answer is through a death and a resurrection. Through a death and a resurrection. His own death to satisfy the justice of God. And a resurrection to prove his power over Satan, over the death that had entered into this world to prove his power over the curse. That's what Jesus did. And so if you go back with me, just travel in time for a little bit, for another 2,000 years back from where we we are, okay, today. 2,000 years, about 2,000 years on Thursday. Jesus was gathered with his disciples. You remember this? In an upper room, They'd partaken of the Last Supper. Judas had then gone out and betrayed Jesus. And Jesus had then taken his disciples to another garden. So we've had the Garden of Eden. And the second garden is the Garden of Gethsemane. And there in that Garden of Gethsemane, there, there, were, there were soldiers that came. And, and they had torches. And it was, a, it was a, basically an angry mob that came in to arrest Jesus. And Judas points Jesus out. He, he betrays him with a kiss, and, and they grab Jesus, and they take him in front of a, a court. First, they take him to Annas, and then Caiaphas, who was the high priest in that time. Then to Pilate, and to Herod, and these were, these were Roman rulers. His disciples 
fled in fear. And you remember that Peter, who said, I will never deny you, goes and denies Jesus three times, doesn't he? And so Jesus is there in front of this angry mob, in front of these soldiers that then take him and they beat him. They put a crown of thorns on him. They, they, they put a purple robe on him and they mock him. The king of the Jews, king of the Jews. And they spit on him. They pluck out his beard. They punch him in the face. They, they, they flog him with the cat of nine tails. It's 49 lashes minus one, which is actually basically... They, they, they almost kill you. That's basically what they do. That's, that's how many times they whip you. That's what Jesus endured. And they say, prophesy. Prophesy. If you're truly the son of God, then tell me who hit you. And so they do this over and over and over again. And then they bring him back before Pilate, who says, I, I don't find any guilt in this man. But that angry crowd cries out in an angry voice, crucify him crucify him, crucify him. And so he says, I'm washing my hands of this. And he goes and washes his hands and says, you, you go and crucify him. Your blood, be, his blood be on your hands. And they say, fine, yeah, his blood be on us and on our children, right? They didn't really know what they were saying. But anyway, what happens is that they take Jesus, they throw a cross, which is basically a wooden beam on his back, and he has to walk with that cross all the way from where, where he is up on top of a hill called Golgotha, which means the skull. And they nail him to that cross. They spread his, his arms open wide and they, they nail his feet to it. And they lift him up, which is basically a death by suffocation. It's not the pain that kills you with crucifixion. It's a death by suffocation. It's also called a silent death because most people cannot speak when they're nailed to a cross. And that's what Jesus endured. And so as he's suffocating to death, as he's already lost so much blood, he, he cries out a couple words from that cross. He says, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He cries out for their forgiveness. Isn't that amazing? Wow. And then as he is about to give up his spirit, he does say some other words that aren't mentioned in the book of John, but he says, he says as he's about to give up his spirit, it is finished. What did he mean? What did Jesus mean when he said, it is finished? He meant that the curse had been reversed, didn't he? He reversed the curse. Because just as God had actually killed an animal back in, back in Eden, to actually provide clothes for Adam and Eve, he himself became like that lamb that was killed. Like the lambs that were slaughtered all throughout the Old Testament to cover up sin, Jesus became that covering once and for all. Jesus, the perfect, sinless lamb of God, died on the cross for our sin. To take upon our sin upon himself and to bear the wrath of God. Actually, another another thing that he said from the cross was, Father, why have you forsaken me? Right? You remember that? The reason Jesus was saying that is because he was bearing the weight of our sin upon himself. That's what he did for you, for me. Now, you may feel guilty. You may feel remorse for some things that, that, that you have done. I know I do. 
What you need to know is that Jesus actually, he, he bore that curse for you. He bore that guilt. He bore that shame on your behalf. And so what he calls you to do is believe, to trust in him. Now, you may be wondering, well, when are we going to get to the resurrection? Because that's the reason why we're gathered today, isn't it? We're here to talk about the resurrection. Well, we don't get to the resurrection without going to the tomb. And so I want you to, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be spending the rest of our time in John chapter 20. And this is in the New Testament. Um, John chapter 20, we're actually going to just give a little bit of follow-up in John chapter 19. And we're going to see how Jesus was buried and then where he was taken to. And this is where we get to this third garden. It says in verse 40 that, so they took the body of Jesus and they bound it in linen cloths with spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. What you're going to see actually happen is a series of events that um, we begin to see take place that shows that Jesus had come to reverse the curse. Verse 41 is an important one because we see that now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. You see that? And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. And so because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they lay Jesus there. You notice where they placed Jesus' body? In a garden, in a tomb. Why in the world would there be another garden at this point? I don't believe it's a coincidence. I believe that Jesus was telling us something about what he was doing. Something that was telling us to look back, look back, look back to Genesis chapter 3. To that garden there in Eden. Where two people that were sinless, perfect, God's creation. Where creation functioned in his perfect order. He was saying, look back there because what they did, I'm going to fix. And I'm going to reverse in this garden. And so we see, actually, that the writer, the writer of John actually uh, gives us a little bit of, of a framework to understand his whole writing. Actually, the way that he opened up his book was by actually referring back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. The way that John actually writes his book is he said this, in the beginning, not God created, but he said in the beginning was the Word. And what he meant by that was saying in the beginning was Jesus. Jesus was there as well in the beginning. And it says, says that the Word was with God. Jesus was with God. And Jesus was God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And all things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that has been made. Verse 4 is important. In Him was life. That life was the light of men. What's he saying? Jesus is the true light of the world. When God said, let there be light there in Genesis chapter 1, what he's saying was, let Jesus be the light. Jesus is the true light of the world. You actually notice from the creation story that, that God does not create the sun, the moon, and the stars. I think it's till like day three. It's amazing. Who was the light? It's Jesus. Jesus is the light. And it says, says as, we, as, we, as we go on in this passage, that as Jesus has been lying dead in the tomb in the garden, that in chapter 20, we see that for three days, uh, sorry, we'll go back to verse, verse 1 of John chapter 20, verse 1. It says, now on the first day of the week, 
Mary Magdalene came to the tomb. And while it was still dark, and she saw that the stone had been rolled away from the tomb. Imagine being, being this woman who comes to a tomb that she expects to be sealed. And from other passages we know was guarded by Roman soldiers. She expects to come to the tomb and, and try to, to try to get in to anoint the body of Jesus with, with spices. She comes while it's still dark and she sees that the stone has been rolled away. I want you to notice something about verse 1. What day of the week did Mary come to the tomb? The first day of the week. That first day of the week where, where God actually said, let there be light. This first day of the week, Mary was coming to the tomb and seeing that the light of the world had risen from the dead. That Jesus, the true light of the world, had, had defeated death. Jesus is the light of the world. As it goes on, it says that for three days, Jesus had, had been lying in this tomb, and Mary Magdalene had come to anoint the body of Jesus. Actually, something that you need to know about Mary Magdalene is that this is a woman who actually had endured Years and years of being possessed by seven demons. Now, I don't know anybody that's been possessed by demons. I've only heard stories, and it's scary. And this is real. And what Jesus did for Mary is that he delivered her from this demon possession. That's how, how deep she was into whatever witchcraft or whatever she was in. Jesus loved her so much to deliver her and to restore her and make her new. And says that upon arriving to the tomb, she saw it had been rolled away. In these next verses, we'll just skip them. It says, says that she, she ran to, to go and tell the other disciples. And they come, come back. In verse 11, we see Mary stood weeping outside of the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look in the tomb. What was Mary doing? She came back to this tomb. It says that she was weeping. She was weeping. I can't help but look back to the book of Genesis, chapter 3, after Adam and Eve had sinned, as they're hiding in fear from God. I can't imagine, even though it doesn't say that they wept, I guarantee you they did. Because they were so fearful of the wrath of God, of the justice that was coming to them, that they had disappointed their God who they had fellowship with. How could they not weep? And here Mary is weeping outside of the tomb. Now, I, I, I don't know what kind of guilt you might be dealing with or what, what might cause you to weep. Can I just tell you, whatever regrets or pain in your past that you, you think is too much for God, God is able to restore you and heal you, and make you new, to reverse the curse. He can do that same thing, just like he did for Mary Magdalene. And here in the garden, Jesus meets Mary. It says in verse 12 that she saw two angels while they were sitting, two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had been laid, one at the head and one at the feet. You ever seen a, a picture of the Ark of the Covenant? Ever seen a picture where you got two angels like standing with their wings like this over top of the ark? That's what I imagine the scene would have looked like over the tomb of Jesus, where, they, where Mary looks in and sees these Jesus, this, uh, these, these two angels standing there waiting for Mary to look in. And she sees these two angels, and, and, and again, I believe that this is there on purpose in this account. 
Because in the account of Genesis, do you remember what God placed at the entrance of the Garden of Eden so that they could not enter back into it? Do you remember what he placed? He placed a cherubim there. He placed a cherubim with, with a flaming sword so that, so that Adam and Eve could not enter back into the Garden of Eden and eat from the tree of life and seal their fate forever. See, God's rejection was his protection. That's what it was. And, and here, here, as Mary looks into the tomb, she sees these two angels instead of rejection, She sees their care. They speak to her. There's compassion. There's concern. There's mercy. And they reach out to her and they say this in verse 13. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They've taken away my Lord and I I don't know where they have laid him. See, she didn't know yet that Jesus had been resurrected from the dead. And having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing But she didn't know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? You know, both Jesus and the angels here ask Mary what I would call being rhetorical questions. Did they know what she was seeking? Did they know why she was weeping? Absolutely. And it kind of reminds me of, again, back in Genesis, in that first garden, what did God do when he was seeking Adam and Eve? He called out for them. Where are you? Did you eat from the tree that I told you not to eat of? Who told you that you were naked? That's what God said. Did he know the answer to those questions? Absolutely. And so again, we see this reversal happening right here in this passage where where we're called to look back and see what did God say? What did these angels say? What did Jesus say? See, God knows. He, he, He knows you inside and out. He knows you before you were even even born. He sees all your sin, and yet he loves you, and he came for you. It says in Scripture that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, didn't it? It says that in in the Scripture in Romans 5, verse 8. See, he came for you. Let's keep on going in this passage because it says in verse 15 that supposing him to be a gardener, she said to him, Sir... If you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. You see what what Mary considers Jesus to be in this garden? The gardener. Do you think that's there on purpose too? I mean, this is just like blowing my mind because there's all these parallels that I'm seeing. Because back in Genesis, what did God give Adam the job to be? The gardener right? And here, here, here Adam was the one that, that took from the fruit and, and rejected God and then blamed Eve, blamed the woman. That woman that you gave me, she, she, she gave me the fruit and I ate. You need to curse her, right? Here Jesus, I believe, is coming to Mary as the better Adam, the better Adam who didn't reject her, but accepted her and loved her. See, he was reversing the curse. And that, that, that job of the gardener, the job of, of Adam, you remember what Adam's job was in the garden? His job was to name all the animals. And he also, at one point, toward the end of Genesis 3, he gives his wife the name Eve because she's the mother of all living. Do you think that that's going to happen too? Let's see. Keep on going. Verse 16. Jesus begins to, again, reverse the curse. 
Jesus says to her, Mary. Mary. Jesus names her as an act of his new creation. Reversing the curse. Opening up, opening up her eyes to see her true identity. And you know the same thing is true for us when we look to Jesus. He'll give us a new name. He'll give us a new identity. You are no longer defined by what you did, but what Jesus has done. You are no longer defined by what you did, but what Jesus has done. You don't have to live in the guilt of your past or your shame. I mean, think about, think about Mary. Think about Mary Magdalene. What was she? She was a demon-possessed. Some people even, even uh, historically have known her as a prostitute. That's the kind of person that Jesus said, I have come to save. I've come to seek and to save the lost. And if we're honest, that's you and that's me. It may not be the same thing. God says it is in our heart, that we all have rejected him in our heart. And it says in, in, in Scripture, in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that can be you, that can be me. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. Praise God. You no longer have to be, de be defined by what you did, but what Jesus has done. You, you no longer need to be defined by the guilt that you're carrying around. You can have a new name. That's Christian. You can have a new family, and that is the church, even Valley Church. We'd love for you to be part of our family, because we are. For the body of Christ. You can have a new home. And that is heaven. You know, that's our eternity. That's our reality. And that's why we're so passionate about preaching Jesus. Because Jesus said this, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. That's what Jesus said. You can't get to heaven but through me. Let's end this passage here as we close. It says that, that she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, don't cling to me, for I have not yet descended to my father. But go, go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and to your father and to, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples I have seen the Lord. I've seen the Lord. And that he had said these things to her. You know that when you find Jesus, you find purpose. Your purpose is not just work the nine to five and, you know, make a living and provide for your family. No, your purpose is to glorify God. It says in scripture, for from him and through him and for him are all things. He created us with that in mind. He created Adam and Eve with that in mind. He created us with that in mind. And so you and I can be part of that reversing the curse by receiving Jesus, by following him, and walking in a way to glorify him. And what Jesus tells Mary is, is here, she, she, she's given the first commission. She's told, go, go. Go and tell my disciples. And that's the command that Jesus has given us to go into the, all, all the world, make disciples. Tell people about the resurrection of Jesus. Tell people about the reversal of the curse.
and that they can have hope and healing in his name. That's what Valley Church is all about. And that's what we want for you. And so as we end this service, why don't we stand? I want to just give you a moment to respond to Jesus right now. Let's just stand together. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes. Let's pray to God. Maybe you just want to, at this moment, just ask, ask God as you, as you pray to him, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Let me just give you a moment just to, just to pray to God personally and ask him that right now. How do you want me to respond to you, Jesus? Thank you, God. Maybe you came to church like Mary Magdalene bearing the weight of a burden of guilt. <laughs> Scripture says that we all are guilty before holy God. It says, for all have sinned, for all have fallen short of his glory. But instead of bearing the burden of that religion, you can enter into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So if there's some of you who who want to just today say yes to Jesus and say yes to Jesus. I believe that you are the way, you're the truth, you're the life. I want to repent of my sins and I place my faith in you as, as the only way to God. If that is you, just raise up your hand. Raise up your hand. I want to see it. Yeah, praise God. Praise God. Wow, so many hands here this morning. Yeah, I see you. I see you. Anybody else? What I want to do is I want to just help lead you in a prayer prayer to respond to Jesus, prayer of faith, prayer of repentance, that you might come into a relationship with him. And a prayer doesn't save you. It says, says, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. So if you believe, if you want to place your faith in Jesus together with me today, just pray this in your heart. You can even pray it out loud. Pray these words, Lord Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I need you. I can't save myself. I confess of and I repent of my sins. And I believe that you died on the cross and you rose again. I believe that you are the way and the truth and the life. Would you save me? Would you take my sin? Would you bear it on my behalf? And help me walk in a new way. Lord, I give you all of me today. And declare from this moment that you have full control over my life. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving me. And making me whole. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Praise God. Hey, as we end our service here, we want to just praise God. For those who have been born into his family, let's just give those a hand that just responded to Jesus today. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Valley Church. If you were impacted by today's teaching or made a decision to follow Jesus, we would love to hear from you, pray for you, and walk with you. To connect with us, visit valleychurchwv.com. There you will find resources on following Jesus and information about how to partner with us here at Valley Church as we seek, serve, and send disciples of Christ.